Welcome back to the Comic Book Historians Podcast with Alex Grant and Jim Thompson, continuing our interview with Professor William H. Foster III. Since you brought up the Twilight Zone, can I just can we just just for a second go off and talk about the big tall wish? It's the uh, boxer that that becomes. Uh, ah! Was it Ivan Dixon? Yeah, yeah, with a little boy and and that and dreaming and things. That's that's just an example of what of what Serling was doing, but it's it's just just amazing. The and he and it's just so it's so sad that the number of ways of the story his his hand or his feel for the story you know it took years for somebody to come back to give it that same feel because the one they did back in the 80s was like not good no they were, the, 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 there were a couple of good episodes and i i there's a few i really like but yeah. but no it's 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 not the same thing but neither was neither was the peel one that, that that was on cbs you know it's hard to put that back and i'm as big a twilight zone fan is as, as you probably are in fact oh, my, my son is named willoughby <laughs> so you can't <laughs> you can't get more than that no you cannot my brother <laughs> So uh, as far as the 60s, we talked about Robert Crumb. We talked about Franklin and Peanuts. So now we're going to enter the 70s. And this is interesting because the 70s, there's like maybe a lot of the movements of the 60s started to manifest. There's a delay, right? And then suddenly it starts showing up in pop culture more. And the 70s has also, it's like an explosion almost, where you mentioned Inner City Romance by Guy Caldwell. Super Soul Comics, 1972, Richard Grass Green. Absolutely. Don McGregor's uh, Jungle Action Series with Black Panther, Luke mm-hmm. Cage. So tell us about this movement. Tell us about, as you were reading these in real time, what, what did you feel was going on? Oh, man, it was easy that the the counterculture was taken over. And here's, let's get on the real. People like, when there's... When you see a major trend coming or a major wave coming through, it's making money and you want to make money too. So you try the trends out, you know, that are making, that's when you start seeing a lot more women manifest themselves in the comic world, and not just as superheroes, but as policemen and, or police chiefs in some cases, you know, or head of government agencies, politicians. And it's easy for them to know, okay, now we have a template. Now we can do something here, okay? Now that the... First ones were, like we said, they're kind of like in, you know, they're kind of in humor and, you know, oh, I got to go to the, the Senate and, uh, and pass a bill, but first I had to get my nail fixed, you know. So, but I'm remembering plainly the number of stories I read where they would tell, I had friends tell me, they told them, if you, they don't care how many degrees you had, every woman here starts in the typing pool. Or you're not going to be able to get this. Why should I hire you when you'll just get pregnant and get, oh, get, get, go get married somewhere and I got to train somebody else? Right to their faces, you know, with no shame whatsoever. And I'm saying, that's, God, that's horrible, you know, because I'm coming into the age where women are trying to get a fair shake and fair shake is for everybody. So the 70s is that. It's like the language changes. Oh, ask anybody you know about uh, Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. And ask the last time you heard a black guy say Sweet Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it would have been on the Netflix show two oh, years ago. Oh, man. Who was I talking to? I was talking to um, one of the guys who did um, did the uh, Milestone comics, and he was he was cracking me up 
with that. He said, yeah, me and the brothers were sitting around, and I heard somebody say, sweet Christmas. <laughs> I said, please, you're killing me. But also there was another phase, too, is that every black superhero had to have black in front of his name. Right. You yeah. know, and that got kind of got to be a joke. Even now, it's still kind of a joke. But I understand how that was. Being black was important to say. And if this is the only way you can say it, that's fine. Okay. But, did you ever see also, the did you see the Harvey Birdman episode with Black Vulcan? It, it, it's have you have you gotten to that one yet, Alex? Yeah, yeah. I Bla- finished Black, I finished the Harvey Birdmans. They are funny. Black, yes. Black Vulcan is on the stand and he he want, he doesn't want to be called Black Vulcan. And he and he says he says, I said to, to Aquaman, why don't you call yourself Whitefish? <laughs> That's a good one. And in the and in the recent Harvey Birdman special, Black Vulcan became president of the United States, actually. You're kidding. Yeah, did you watch that? No. You should check that out. It's funny. It's like 2019 or, or recent. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Thank you. I'll be looking yeah. for that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's we now, now Black Vulcan is Black Lightning, right? Just yeah. so everyone knows this. And, but just for and the I show, can't understand anyway. what happened, but I'm sure it was something legal. Yeah, it was a legal thing with the name, yeah. But uh, and what who did you have? Apache Chief. Yeah, right. the, the, Apache the episode Chief. is is Apache yeah. Chief episode where he yeah. he goes to a Starbucks and burns himself on a hot cup of coffee, <laughs> and he and he can't grow after that. Yeah, the pain was too much. So, <laughs> so now, for now, when you read the Don McGregor Jungle Action Run, did you enjoy that run? What was your impression of it? Well, I, well okay, now I got to put separate my because I know Don a long for a long time. Um, <laughs> Um, the title gives some people pause, but he was always trying to treat the character as a super, as a human being, and yeah. that's what happened with Black Panther for a long time. People didn't know how to deal with him, you know. So he was kind of a background character. Is he the monarch of the country? Is he a superhero? How is he a person? You know, at one point, I think he had a job as a teacher in a yeah. high school. Yeah, you know, so they couldn't really decide what they wanted to do with him as a character, you know. And that was like, and even to not very long before the movie came out, you know, because they. I was reading the b- a book on a regular basis, but I couldn't read it anymore because I couldn't tell where he was going. You know, they were, it's very confusing. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, Storm, the creation of Storm in 1975. Len Wein, Dave Cockrum, st- uh, she became a strong female black leader. What was your impression of Storm? And you mentioned like, yeah, she has blue eyes, but still it's an African princess. T- tell us your impression of Storm and uh, why is that important? I think it's important because you never had anyone like her before. It's interesting that when they did the amalgamation comics, where they combined the Marvel and, and DC care heroes, yeah, who does she combine with? She combines with Wonder Woman, yeah, you know, and becomes Amazon, yeah, which tells you how powerful an uh, image that she had. You know that that was a natural fit. They didn't have to, you know, they didn't have to like have to explain it to anybody. As they tell her story, and it changes over time. She has a well, African mother and African American father. Mm-hmm. She That's has right. been a, a, a thief in Cairo as a young kid. Yeah, because her parents uh, were killed in a in an explosion. So they they're adding elements to her story. Then she comes becomes Kitty's kind of like godmother, mm-hmm. you know, when she was a teenage girl trying to make her way through, and Rogue at the same time. So she she has a lot of different hats she wears. Yeah. And it's, she's, it, she's and she she's very developed. I mean, I like her character as a person because I've read so many so much of it. 
I never knew that she, I, I was surprised to see how much she called the professor on, you know, on ethical issues. And I thought that was important to have somebody like that, because if you're an all powerful person, that's what's going to stop you. As it, as we saw in Jean Grey's character, you know, yeah. where with no governor, what he, what happens, you know? And that's and also, since, also since he's in love with Jean Grey too, evidently. So that gets weird. <laughs> She's sexual. She has a sexual aspect to her that a lot of time uh, black characters, even going back to then, are, are often neutered to some degree. And you would have her taking showers naked, you know, having it rain on her. And, and she didn't really like to wear clothes and didn't fully understand it. And that was highly unusual at the time where the black character kind of tended to have a stick up their ass. I mean they they didn't they didn't have that because people didn't want to see that to some degree. Oh hell no. You know, well they did want to see but not in the crowd. Right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so no, you're right. And now you guys knew that Wonder Woman had a a, a black sister, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, Nubia. Absolutely. Which who's like another person they didn't know what to do with as a character, you know. So it was like I think I'd like to think or I guess I'm thinking is that because we have this thing, these unresolved issues with race, we're going to always be dealing with that kind of thing in this country where the idea is, uh, well, she's black, but she can't be this, but he can be that. And somebody says, well, he can be that, but he can't be this. We're going to be working with that for a little while, I suspect. But it's something that comic books can't, well, they can't ignore it, but you know, at, at their peril, I think mm -hmm. is that I've, I've, dabbled in writing stories and i've just begun to appreciate that it's it's not as easy as it likes as it looks even if you go to the the tropes that have been in, in place for for decades right right so so now later 70s and this is an interesting thing you mentioned because you had an interview with green and he he mentioned and i don't know if this is still a thing or if it really was a thing back then but he said that when he was younger being both black and an artist in the black community, they would think he was maybe yeah. um, gay or something. Well, or creepy. Or creepy or, creepy, or some yeah. different thing. What, yeah. what, not that those two words are synonymous with each other, but just that no. that's what he was looked at. It Was that a thing, first of all? And is that still a thing? It was a thing, and for certain people, it's still a thing. Okay. Because I can, God, I can hear the voice in my head. Just when you were saying that out loud, someone saying, well, what kind of man wants to be an artist? Really? Okay. The kind of man who's making more money than you'll ever make in your lifetime. Okay? <laughs> but nobody ever, the same people who tried to dissuade me from being involved with comic books because they couldn't see a place where it would make any sense. We have to be serious. We have to march to a certain drum. You have to get a job that has a, this kind of, you know, really. Okay, and if I don't do that, then I'm a failure. I tell you what, I don't know how to define failure for myself. Not disrespect for you. I'm sorry, yeah, disrespect for you. Uh, but no, I'm you know that's not the only way you can make a living. And I have young people now. I have a number of young people who I, I'd like to think I influence to go follow their heart. They're not making a dime, and they don't care, you know. And they're doing and they're doing fine, at least from as far as I can tell. Because I'm you know how you doing, you know. Yeah. But there will always be people who say that this is not a wholesome lifestyle. I see. You want to be an artist. Not wholesome. That's the yeah. bottom line, I guess. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of things that happened in 1978 comic-wise in this aspect that we're examining here today. In 78, and Jim, Jim's a fan of this as well, is Saber by Don McGregor, which was basically one of the earlier modern graphic novels, Strong Black Adventure, 
But then at the same time, same year, you had Bill Mantlow's 1978 story. It was a Spider-Man story, The Hypno Hustler. <laughs> now, tell us what makes, and, and you know, just let the audience know, because maybe the audience doesn't know. What, what's your impression of Sabre versus something like The Hypno Hustler, and why is one maybe more successful than the other? Okay, the Saber was basically, if you look at him, he was basically inspired by Jimi Hendrix, there's no question. But, and he spoke lyrically. He didn't, you know, he didn't give a straightforward line. And it's obviously post-apocalyptic, wherever the hell it is. I don't think it's Earth. And he's just, he uses his, his instinct, his natural ability, which we've always thought that was like a kind of a 60s thing. You know, we don't always have to, you know, he has a gun, but it's not the first thing he reaches for. You know, he knows how to use a sword. The people who are after him, are, there's no question that they have a hierarchy that they respect when they respect anything else. And they think of him as an animal. So he's like an outsider, but he's an outsider that you admire because he's moving as, as natural as he can. Hypno Hustler <laughs> voted the worst superhero, so it was the worst supervillain in all of Marvel history. I don't know who voted that, but I, my vote would have counted on that too. Once again, somebody trying to take advantage of a trend, the disco era. Yeah. And he's introduced in the Spider-Man comic and literally, the outfit he's wearing, only somebody who, like, you had no money and you found some pieces somewhere put on would be him. <laughs> but, but that's okay. You got to stumble sometimes. You got to you gotta stumble sometimes to figure out where you're going to be. I'm surprised you knew about that. That just kills me, man. That's... <laughs> you know, it, it says something, though, about how far Marvel goes down in, in, in some ways in terms of mm. the, the major characters like they're doing great stuff on the side the steve gerber stuff and those things and mcgregor with billy graham because we should mention billy graham in, in terms of that too absolutely but but besides that what what's actually going on with the spider-man books and with the fantastic four and the after kirby leaves they go yeah. down pretty bad because if you go to earlier spider-man and i just want to say the prowler that is a character that's treated with Hobie, Hobie Brown. Yeah. Um, yeah. That character is treated with respect. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, I like that a, character. Yeah. it's a great Spider Man, complicated character. And then, you know, you skip five, ten years, and you got you got that guy on the on the skateboard, and you got the <laughs> hypno hustler, the rocket racer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they're just awful. And it's like they were really like they're really fishing hard to find somebody who's you know kind of crazy <laughs> character. Who's the guy in the giant wheel of death? Yeah, the or big murder? wheel guy. Uh, yeah. Oh, he teams the up. The name with... alone should have been enough to warn everybody. The big wheel guy. They're terrible. <laughs> um, uh, now, I, I wanted to mention Bertram Fitzgerald, his Golden Legacy series, his Fast Willie Jackson, nineteen seventy six, yep. with the with the Archie type art by Gus Lemoyne. And and you actually chatted with with him as well. Um, oh and, man, I got very lucky. Yeah. So tell us what what was he trying to do with Fast Willie Jackson, and what you know it it didn't go for a long time. Tell us what led to its no longer uh, seizing the publication of that comic. No problem. He started Golden Legacy because the same reason that Brother Evans started All Negro Comics. He said he got tired of not seeing Black people in comics, so he wanted to dedicate an entire series to that. And he said he was told by both Black people and white people it will never 
sell. Okay, no one would sell him a subscription list, so he couldn't sell at newsstands where comic books were sold. But he got clever and he got inventive. He went to grocery stores and got advertising from different grocery, you know, like Pepsi and you know, and Coke, and uh, sold them there. And he started doing very well. He also went to, to the Urban League and got support. And those books are amazing. Oh, by the way, it's important to say. Uh, so unfortunately, he's no longer with us. He passed last right. year. Right. Crushed my heart because he was like, because he had a guy. He he had to go to his own, find his own printer, and a guy was stealing his 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 design and, and selling them off the books. He said that you know he'd take the guy to court. Within mm. while he was in the courtroom, he had a heart attack. Oh you know? wow! Okay. Went to the hospital, good. came back out, and still won the case. So what he was looking for was, and uh, Fast Willie Jackson was a book that he could kind of trace to see because he wanted something for young people. They said, how can I tell if they're reading this? So they used a contest in the letter to the editor page that said, if you can come up with a, a good ending for this story, we'll use your story. And he said they got an amazing amount of, of books coming, you know, of letters coming back to them. He said that the, he said it was an important thing for him to try out. And it was so different from Golden Legacy. I mean, particularly since you guys said the art, the Archie artists, which everybody recognized, you know. Yeah. I don't know how, but, you know. But and those are becoming increasingly hard to find now. Sadly. Yeah, I managed to find one issue on eBay, the only affordable one I could find. Yes, I tell uh, you what, talk to me. I'll hook you up later. I know a <laughs> guy. <laughs> so now in the eighties, there's a few things you mentioned, like Daddy Cool in nineteen eighty four. <gasps> but but it seems like it's it's not as much as the seventies and the nineties. It's almost like there's less of this. Absolutely. Uh, I think it had to do with the economic conditions of the country at that time and okay. also the political feeling for what was happening, too, because the Reagan years, <laughs> you know, it was interesting. Oh, Daddy Cool was deep that it was printed by the same people who did Player Magazine, hmm. which was, how shall we say, adult entertainment? Yeah. Oh, OK, cool. Mm-hmm. And I've heard of it that. It was the largest size. <laughs> <laughs> It was a large size format, and they reduced it later on into a paperback size. But nobody, the person who reduced it wasn't paying attention. The page count was all off. Okay. You know, it was like reading a Japanese you know, novel at a train station. So, <laughs> but it was an amazing story. And for people who had never read Daddy Cool, because he wrote a lot of novels. Yeah. You know, and he was very popular. If, if you can gauge the popularity of somebody who's writing, like, pretty much for the underground. Okay. But it was an amazing book. And I got my copy years ago. Because I saw it someplace, and I said, I, I got a little better. I picked it up. And it wasn't until, it wasn't back in print for like 20 years. Yeah, that's so, cool. So if you see one of those little paperback copies, let it go. Trust me, you can do better. <laughs> so, but the 90s is a really interesting time. And yeah, it comes back really strong. And also, it's not just comics. You also mentioned cards, right? And there was a big thing in the early 90s were cards. Even Marvel hopped on the bandwagon with their Marvel Comics cards. There's this huge card industry. Even I think uh, Revlon that bought Marvel also bought a card company. Like there's this big thing for cards. And you mentioned that there was in 1990, Miss Black America trading cards. Oh, dude. Yep. 1992, Civil Rights Movement cards. 1992, African American History cards. Yep. So, so tell us, you know, about about the card market with with this topic. And did you know about it at the time, or was this more of a later thing? I did. I, I found out about it at the time because I taught a summer program 
at college for kids who were going to, if they took the summer course, they would get a leg up for that spring, you know, for when they would decide if they wanted to go to this college to go to school. So it was a nice idea. It was great. And my students turned me on the trading cards. I was surprised. I was a comic book guy. But before the summer was out, I had 3,000 cards. <laughs> and majority of them, like mostly superhero, but other things as well. The I was stunned to find that set of Miss Black America trading cards. Mm-hmm. But it was a promotional device for a lot of places. So that's what they got into. Even, what's wrong with me? The Milestone. Milestone Comics was a whole other thing. Yes. Oh, God. And the, uh, uh, Dwayne, uh, Dwayne McDuffie and those guys. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say a story about Dwayne McDuffie. When he, when he initially went to Marvel, just a passing story. Yeah. And yeah. he said, give me control of your worst selling book. And I bet you I'll turn it around. That's exactly what he did. The worst selling book was one about after all the fights with superheroes and gods and warriors and demons and stuff, there's always a mess in the city. Who was the company that came through? Oh, damage control. Them? Yeah. Uh-huh. That was the book he took. Okay. And I, I said, I'd never heard that. But once he told me that, I just said, I got, now I got to read it now. See? Yeah. You yeah. Um, I never, I never uh, thought about looking at it that way. So I'm going to go back and look at those again. <laughs> but yeah, I was stunned. And Milestone has such an interesting story. Here's the thing that some people got caught up in and they got kind of got smacked hard. Yeah. Some people would tell the plot of their characters through the cards and no comic book. So, but the idea, how did you get the cards? You couldn't buy a set. You know, you had to buy them five, six at a time. So the idea was, we'll get all this money and then they'll find out what the story's like, you know. But then you're throwing away a bunch of cards. You get a lot of copies. So no, that didn't work out too hard for some folks. But other people said, we'll do both. We'll tell the story that's in the, in the book or we'll start a brand new story so you can keep up with it. And then who was it? The Shadowhawk. Shadowhawk. Had the cards that every nine of them formed a picture right and that's how the cards went into the book so they were smart okay but i loved getting my saving characters i got wonder woman i got superman i got batman and the more i got of them oh i'm sorry i gotta mention storm and god knows mm-hmm. do you ever get enough storm trading cards <laughs> and and but like i said that's probably how i got nine you know three thousand cards but i i love that and they and let's face it for young fans they make the perfect gift it's not like i'm giving them a book where the parents can say well we have to check this out you can see plainly on either side what's in the story and it's not going to be a problem so for a person like me who likes to try to encourage young people and not look creepy. Mm-hmm. So that was exactly what those, you know, they turned out to be. They turned out to be um, uh, a perfect way of reading a little, a little piece about the character. Yeah, that's right. So then did, did Milestone achieve what they wanted to achieve? Ooh, interesting question. Uh, yes. And no. because let us know yeah tell us about that (laughs) it's funny you should ask is that you got the presence in the one area that was difficulty and still is difficult for all african-american comic book publishers distribution if you don't have an end in distribution you pretty much can even if you're online you know it's not the same so dc said we'll cover that for you okay but then as you should have suspected, you know who Daddy Warbucks is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Little Wolf Nanny. Okay. Daddy Warbucks may look like a sympathetic old guy, but he never going to let go of the reins. So you don't care what you think. So DC was always, you know, well, no, we can't pump that stuff. Wait a minute. Our contract clearly says no. Well, we say no. Okay. So it becomes that. One story, I don't know if I, would, if I wrote about it, but 
Dwayne McDuffie wrote it. Uh, the lightning character. Static um, shock. Has a girlfriend and they decide they want to have sex. So it's, that's the story. Okay. Yes. Now, here's the thing. DC didn't want him to show condoms. And McDuffie said, wait a minute. If I had an image of her and I said, put her butt in a prominent image on the front cover, y'all would have d- doubled the copies. He'd have made <laughs> twice as many copies. He said, and he had, it was suddenly done. It wasn't like, you know, they were brandishing them or putting them on. They were on the side table. But DC, you know, and said the first time he found out about that is when the cover came out. He said no one talked to him about it before it came out. And then they had an extra cover on top of it. And then he opened up and then you saw it. But you couldn't do it in the store. So and I said, and he said that was pretty much it for him. You know, they wanted editorial control over something that they really, you know, they should have made, that should have been clear to everybody. And I get the feeling it wasn't. But then how often is that true with a partner? Now, you think we understand each other, you know. Right. But somebody thinks, oh, well, I'll, I'll get away with what I want. That's always going to be a nightmare. I, I I want to talk about the success for a minute, my perspective a little bit in that when I was teaching, I had Michael Davis come to the class. Ah. He's he's something. And he <laughs> he came, he's he's one of the creators of static. And and I had a class of of, of, of Duke students, and it was mostly white, and I had two black students. Mm. And when he came in and, and I introduced him in connection with Static, and none of the white kids had any idea who that was. And there was one one of the two black kids, uh, the, 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 the boy in the class, the guy in the class, it was like introducing him to Elvis. He thought Static, I mean, and he explained to me after, he said, you have no idea how important that character is to me. And I think that's, and I've since talked to, I, so every year I would ask any of my uh, black students, I'd say, what about static? Because I would talk about superheroes and that character is enormously important to kids of an age that they were, they were watching the TV show. It was, it, it was huge. Yeah. He had a cartoon for three years or something, right? Yeah. And it was, it was big with the black. Didn't they win the Peabody? Yeah, I think it did. He was, if I can say this, so nobody gets offended. He was like the black uh, Spider-Man. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Before, before there was a black Spider-Man. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. That, that's a good comparison, actually. Yeah. So then now there's some other 90s milestones, which we talked about the Dwayne McDuffie stuff. Sure. Um, Barry Crockett, Motown Man, 1999. Then there's also this book that I actually find it's difficult for me to find. I was trying to find it. A Cartoon History of African Americans Chronicles History of Blacks in America Starting in 1619. And it's like a visual or a cartoon history of that. And you mentioned that in your book. And that came out in 1997. So, you, you know, uh, there just seems to... What, what, what was the energy of the 90s to suddenly bring out such an awareness and such a curiosity about oh, my this? brother. I get two words, personal uh-huh. computers. There you go. No, because now. Internet. Yep, absolutely. And you could, you know, you could write, you could have a program that could draw. And if you had the internet, you could distribute. Yes. Okay. And you didn't have to wait in line for somebody because remember back when the, 
was there were like basically two, but there were maybe five comic book companies, and you knew they took what they wanted and they didn't, and they didn't what they didn't, right. and they hired guys to write what they wanted to write. So anybody, any kid who wanted to write a comic book, you you know you're doing it on the on the back of your the paper that comes with your mom's nylons, you know, and you're uh-huh. rolling it off on a on a rolling you know rolling press thing, and but now your own hand, and then for when I got involved with the uh, ECBOC, the group of independent black comic book producers, that was just amazing, you know, and it's a, and it's become an important network. And in fact, it mirrors a network that was in place when the black Pullman and black press kind of cooperated. Yeah. Certain towns wouldn't take black papers and the Pullman would grab the bunch and throw them off because they, when they knew somebody would pick them up. So they, you know, they kind of defeated that kind of thing where you, we're not going to get you to get news from any place else. That was the same thing. When people realized that I could cooperate with somebody else other than, you know, the big guys and still get my job done, you know, and be creative. That's what the nineties was about. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Cause it's all, that's what happened to TV channels as well. Right. There was like, you know, three networks at some point and then suddenly the internet just changes everything where, they don't have all the control and the whole filter on, on everything anymore. Absolutely. Um, so Which now is just, interesting that that happened to them because that's what movies had until TV came in. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And actually, yeah. And comics had that almost kind of before TV even. So, so then now in 2003, a couple things happened in 2003 that you mentioned, there was basically a black captain America who, and it was a commentary on the government experimenting on African-Americans. And Absolutely. then also in the same year, Thunder is created, Black Lightning's daughter. It seems like these things are hap- happening in clusters or something. But tell us about the, those two characters. Uh, why are they important in the, in the, going into the 21st century? Second generation superhero. Been kicked around a little bit, but not really done. But then you find that, you know, that they do it and it's an African-American family. And then, of course, now we have it as a TV, you know, we're headed as a TV show. Just amazing. Because they could have done any number of ways with that because the character has been around for a little bit. Mm-hmm. The first one you asked me about, well, I'm sorry, go back for a second. Oh, yeah. The Isaiah Bradley, I think, is the black captain in America. And ah. there's a commentary on government experimenting on African-Americans. Tell, tell us about your impression of that character. The, the truth sure was the series, right? The, the Kyle Baker. Baker. Kyle Baker. Tuskegee experiment, which a lot of people still don't know about, where black prisoners were told they were giving a cure for syphilis and gonorrhea. And in fact, they were not. They were given nothing, not even a panacea. And the idea was they, the goal of the experiment was to see what would happen. The results would be of syphilis on the human body over 30 years. And they all died horribly. And so someone said, what happens if the super, super soldier serum given to Captain America you really think they were just giving it to him without you know trying it out on black people first and that's what the truth is about that mm-hmm. captain america is the benefit of having abused some black guys to see how it was going to work and the fact that they made that a part of the continuity of captain america's origin from all for all time stuns me beyond words i think that's amazing because i i'm a a DC kid and how many years that I had to put up with imaginary stories, a story that could have happened, you know, and it just seems like a cop out, but you know, that's, that's what they did. They said, Nope, this is, this is how we always want to play it. Yeah. This is the canon. This is, this made it in. Yeah. So somebody had some, I don't want to say that anybody else was a coward, but somebody took a a chance, Mm -hmm. you know, 
doesn't always have to be in pretty and in the light. Sometimes it's in the dark and we can still do some good stuff with it. Sure. Jim probably has some 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 final questions as well, but tell us about your exhibit, The Changing Image of African Americans in Comic Books, and tell us about tell us about that experience for people that have seen it. It has grown exponentially from when I first started. I didn't have a lot of images in the beginning, and now it's I used to have to take the physical pieces out. <laughs> I stopped that. Now it's like, and then I used to do it on slides, and now I can do it on, you know, which mm-hmm. is great because mm-hmm. I can include as many slides as I want to. I can import them if I need to when nothing gets, you know, nothing is imperiled. But the idea of if you don't see it, you don't know it. How many people have never, like he was saying, his students have never seen, you know, Static didn't know who the hell he was. Thank you for TV. Thank you for movies. Now you can't say you haven't seen. Right. You know, even something, and think about like a media darling and media phenomenon like the Black Panther. Around the world, billions of dollars of me, you know, and, you know, sequel coming, couple of sequels coming. We know it's coming, okay? Changes the nature of how these characters exist in literature and in media and in, in legend. I mean, Superman has been around, what, since 1938? Yeah. And it's like, yep. you, you don't even have to speak English to recognize the symbol. Mm-hmm. You know, so the same thing's happening for black characters and they're being not just uniquely associated with the United States. They have black superheroes from every part of the world. You got to love it, you know, and not just black. You have Israeli superheroes. You have Italian superheroes, you have Irish superheroes. Thank you, Marvel, for that, you know, mm-hmm. and then also because we had what when they increased the the when they made the international X-Men in 1975, they had who's the guy that uses his voice in the X-Men? Oh, yeah. Banshee. Yeah, you know, from Ireland, you know, we got Kurt from Germany, you know. Yeah. I love so, that whole that whole era of X-Men. And they were Native American for two issues. Yeah, Thunderbird. He kind of got taken out quick though. Count Nefarious. His brother took over. He does. Yeah, well, Eventually his brother, his brother like later, like in the late 80s, right? Yeah, oh, okay. with, uh, in New Oh, did they kill him too? Yeah. No, no, he's still Sorry, he's terrible. still he's still doing. <laughs> did they kill? Him? No, <laughs> he's still around. Wrong. Excuse um, me. He was Forgive like, me, yeah, he was actually like I think three times stronger than his his brother his older brother James Star. Yeah, yeah, Forge. Also. And then you have Forge, who I thought was actually pretty cool. Him and Storm um, had a thing going for a while there. Yeah. Yeah, he's who, a good character. Who was a young girl with the Native American outfit? But she was like a she did something with her spirit or something. <laughs> what? Is this a Legion of Superheroes character? Or? I don't know. I thought it was the X-Men. I'm not sure. Oh, oh, oh no. Maybe Alpha Flight. Uh, Talisman? Yes, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And then, oh, yeah. And then they had, and then her dad, who was a shaman, right? Was his, yeah. He had the bag yeah. of, like, of leather. And then, like, yeah. a demon head would pop. He like, whoa, well, let's put that back in. Yeah. <laughs> you know? If we don't have a sense of humor, this would all be wasted. <laughs> now I it's interesting maybe by my influence because I used to love the Legion of Superheroes and I and uh, Young Mutants never so much but the mutants were pretty young you know pretty right. much throughout I did a comic book with a friend of mine and he's Native American and it's the first as far as we know African American Native American superhero team and it was just fun to do yeah we're, we're thinking about taking it someplace else we'll see what happens but no that's that's a that's a good trend for some people. That's too much for some folks. I got that. Okay. If you're used to, I'm using this in the best possible way. If you're used to white bread, then rye and wheat probably makes you crazy. So, 
what about you, Jim? Are you are you a, a wheat bread kind of guy or what? No, I'm I'm rye. <laughs> I'm rye See, all I would have called you for a pumpernickel guy. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that I think the biggest thing is that when I take my my exhibit out, everybody shows up. I have a part of it that I do basically just for people who are of another generation and talk about Crazy Cat and talk about Woody Woodpecker because I said, you guys remember these cats. And, it, and man, they're jumping on it. It's like you think they were, I was in a room of 15-year-olds. That's awesome. And that's exactly what it, that's exactly why I do it because you think that you don't have anything in common with, you know, with another generation. You absolutely do. Okay. Oh, by the way, you talked about, oh, you talked about the public service ads. Yeah. I just recently did some pieces about Joe Paluca doing one, Frank Sinatra doing one, you know. So they went they went pretty far afield to make sure that they were letting people know, listen, this is an important message, you know. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you feel, now coming into the present time, do you feel that this is an, an interesting and exciting new era? Is that, how much of it do you, how do you feel about it when they have characters now? They, where they have, representation do you feel like it's 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 been well done do you feel like it's it's driven by some sort of like okay well we need to make a race-based character and and we'll do this do you feel like it's artificial do you feel it's genuine what's what's your impression since you've had the whole gamut of seeing how this whole thing's evolved sure enough but something about something too is that we have a former u.s president who's been represented as a superhero in any number of comic books yeah Okay, and that's like amazing. All he said was he was a fan of comics, and that's all, and that's all comic book makers had to hear, yeah. you know. And now he he's represented as Superman in several different you know dimensions, you know. I think and that's amazing. Spider Man cover with him on, on the on as the, his his head on this. I've got that up on the wall. I think it's an important time. I think there's always a chance that somebody's doing something for money as opposed to for a better reason. And we're gonna, and that's just the chance you take, you know. And it, can something be done badly even when you start off with good uh, intentions? Absolutely. But I'll take a shot. Yeah. I'll take a shot. My goddaughter and I, we never miss an opening of a superhero movie. And we're having the time of our lives. Literally, it's like, we, she's a lot younger than that, but it's like we're both kids, you know. Mm-hmm. And we go to, you know, we go to matinees where nobody else is there, so we can be as loud as we want. Mm-hmm. I love that. Because that's what I did when I was a kid. The movies and the people you saw on the screen, that this was not a time to be quiet. This was a time to, like, you know, to be exuberant, you know, and that's part of what youth is about. I think that if comics ever capture that or keep that, we'll be okay. I think that when they, when they, a story has to be this way because a computer or a, what's the thing that they use to predict behavior? They're doing it now on computers. God, I just saw a program on it. In fact, they use it in one of the Marvel movies to figure out who's going to be who they need to get rid of because based on how they've act, acted, we can predict what you're going to do. Oh, yeah. In Avengers, they, they, they figure out about, was it going back in time or they figured it out? It was something where they, they did. I know what you're talking about. Hey, Alex, I got five questions. Pretty random. What? Should I, I would go with those now? I think All so. Right. First one, which is brand new, and it's only because you brought up the Legion of Superheroes. What was it about in the 70s putting all the people on one island? Because both in terms of Tyrock 
And in on Krypton, they have the Vaslo Island where the, the black scientists all... When you were reading that, did you say, all right, I'm happy to see something, but this is, this no. is crazy? No, that was Kryptonian segregation, and I'm going to call it what, just what it was. Yeah, it wasn't good. The and and they never that, knew what to do with Tyrock either. I mean, he comes, in, hey, there's a black legionnaire. And then it's like, nope. Yeah, get gone. him a new tailor would have been the first thing they needed to do. That outfit was patooey. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't walk through my neighborhood wearing that towel, okay? The interesting thing that gets me is that the first map of Krypton shows the island of the blacks, and they all got these monstrous afros. It was like the mid-60s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I was talking about that just recently. Because nobody remembers that, but I, oh, I have the, I have the map, and about an issue or two earlier, there were those characters, and they're shown on like a television screen, checking in with them and, and with the scientists. They're, they're all kept on an island. All right, second question, but along the same time period, I had people or have talked to to black artists that respected Jack Kirby for not drawing white people when he's drawing black people and, and trying to actually make them look different. And I, I wanted to ask you about, they just recently published his soul love uh, romance Get out of comic. Here. No, they did not. Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's, it's available. Oh man. And I, I wondered what you thought of that and of what you thought of uh, Flipper Dipper during this and the black racer the, the kirby attempting to do this is great and i love him but what what's your thoughts on on the on his dc stuff there sometimes i think about it this way sometimes you go to the dog pound and you want to bring home a great you know bring home a, a big big boxer or a german shepherd and you bring home a poodle you know but nobody <laughs> knows it's the most vicious poodle in the room but nobody knows Okay, so sometimes you just hope against hope. But no, thank you for telling me about that soul love. I'm gonna do my best to find that because I saw the Kirby magazine where they were showing they had some of the pages from that, and I had never seen that. I said, You mean they were planning to do a black love story? You know, yeah, it was like 1971 or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, in the early 50s, you know. And that was the last time you saw it. The cool thing you'll like about that, because I have it, Tomorrow's published it. The people who make the Jack Kirby Collector, they published this Soul Love. And they have Jack Kirby's pencils, but painted by Alex Ross. It's actually really uh -huh. nicely done. So you'll, oh, you'll really like that. Thank you, gentlemen. Now, you know, now my birthday wishes have come true. All right. I notice in our conversation that we, we, we talk more about black characters and black comics than we do about black creators do you, and and trina robbins did one on 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 women superheroes and then most of the rest of her work were on women creators. are are you do you have other work in mind are you going to do more on on african-american comic creators at some point i would love to i've been it's <sighs> It's one of the banes of my existence is that it's just hard to get to people. I got a big list of people. In fact, I'm going through the, you know, through the, the, the my research piles now, but it's, and then, and this is not a, a shot to anybody. It's hard to get the rights to publish people, you know, because I understand how it is when you, when you are like underfunded, you think everybody's trying to rip you off. I am not, but that surely sounds like what everybody says, but there's a bunch of them. 
And I've been in touch with him since like the late 90s. And I'm keeping track of as many people as I can. The opportunity, I'm reasonably certain, will make itself present. And I'm going to chase it and, down. And along along those lines, I want to uh, segue into a, a couple of names of people that, that I have a special uh, affection for. In, sure. and, and the first one is somebody I know Alex wrote about, too. And, and I'm interested in it because I'm interested in chalk talk during that, that uh, certain period, especially in terms of religion. Elton Facts. Do you know his, his work? He, he no. Was a, is an African-American comic artist that went and did a lot of WPA stuff. Yeah, and he did and some Western you, uh, Western pulp art and stuff, too. And then a little bit of co- in yeah. comics. Uh, I'll, I'll tag and you in, uh, in that in the Facebook too. Thank yeah. you. So, so look up him, because that's interesting. He's Thank fascinating you. in terms of his history. Let's talk just briefly about Matt Baker and his contribution. Because oh, he seems like somebody that ought to be covered in far more depth than he has been. Well, actually, you know somebody put out a book about him. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was fascinating because I, to, to that point, no. And somehow I'll bear the shame. But no, I, you know, because I wanted to find out more about him myself. And I, they had, somebody just had done some thorough research. Also, with who you mentioned, the creator of Torchy Brown, there's a book about her, which I was surprised to see. Yeah, Jackie yeah. Orms, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the, the Matt Baker book is good. I just finished that. And evidently, his, I don't know if his family knew, but one of his, like he had these two best friends and they're, I think one was an Italian artist and it, you know, he was all, it, it, he had a lot of friends that, that were Caucasian in the art field and a lot of them were Italians and, and they were all buddies and Al Feldstein really liked them a lot and they all worked in the same studio. And it was interesting. His closest friend who was an Italian guy and who was a comic artist to say that Matt Baker was actually gay, which I didn't know because he drew mm. women so perfectly. No fool. But, but that also that he generally wouldn't really talk too much about race when he'd hang out with a lot of his friends. He was just very excited and like enjoyed the culture of the moment a lot. But evidently his Italian friend wanted him to be his best man at his wedding. But, but he, he didn't want to put them in that in that position or something like that. And it was actually kind of sad because even the time friend and his wife were both like, it was like a depressing thing that hovered over their wedding that he wasn't, that he opted out of being their best man because of stuff like that. It was really interesting. He didn't want, yeah, he didn't want to be turned into the thing of the wedding. You know, I got it. I'm feeling it. Oh, listen, for both of you guys, A.C. Hollingsworth. Oh, yeah. I love his work. And the fact that he turned into a uh, a fine artist from starting as a cartoon artist when he was 15, just an amazing story. I own some of the original pieces of his work, but I only because I was paying attention when some other people were not. Oh, wow. It's very hard That's to find. Great. All right, couple couple of other. I want to get your feeling about, in, in, in the era we currently live in, of tremendous uh, archival republican pub- going just putting things back in in the and make them accessible that haven't been in a long time and mm. the specific one i want to ask about is the one that didn't happen which is captain marvel and the monster society and mm. it didn't happen because of worries about the black representation of of the one character and when we're doing this historic arc stuff how do you feel about should the character be 
altered, cleaned up. Those pages somehow he was I, too central to the storyline to to limit it, or should it just be all out there? And I would normally say all out there, but when you get to something that so obviously going to have a children's market, what, I, yeah. I'm just curious what your feelings are. They made several for TV movies about the spirit. Several. And interestingly enough, the Ebony character was much more palatable and he was sharp, you know, and there was nothing anybody could complain about. So to modernize the character, I got that. Okay, to try to bring it back in the old days and just say, well, it worked then. Well, no, it doesn't work now. I mean, they tried that with Amos and Andy on the radio, two white guys imitating black people who knew. But when it came into the TV show, this is the biggest conversation I had with my students about this. I said, okay, their parents would say, look at all the black professionals being shown on Amos and Andy, lawyers, doctors, judges. Okay. But look at the parody of who we are overall. So which would you rather have? You know, and I feel I feel confident and confident enough to speak to that for myself, but not for anybody else. Amos and Andy's hard because my, my wife, TV professor, and you, you know, she shows it in class, some aspects of it. And you you're both horrified, but fish is funny i mean the lines are funny and it's, yep. it's it's very tricky especially you're doing it in front of students and the the mix of how the reactions are it's a it's a tricky business for sure it is. i taught diversity as a as a diversity counselor and consultant for years and the thing that we would ask somebody was it would it be funny if you changed the race of the people who are saying it that kind of helped. Yeah. Your, no, uh, that's 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 exactly right. All right, but my penultimate question: history in terms, if, if comics are an interesting vessel for telling Black history, and that's been especially noticeable in the last decade. And the two oh, yeah. books I I want to talk about would be the 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 hip hop history, Family Tree, and and March. I interviewed one of the authors of March and we got on the phone and we must, I, I, truly, we must have hit a common chord because we must have talked two and a half hours. And the hip hop, I, I was on the Eisner Awards, I think when they, when that won an award. So I was very impressed with that. The work was amazing. And it wasn't like, it, it wasn't like anybody else could have done it that same way which means that somebody else want to do it a different way, they most certainly can. And like most hip-hop artists, they have their own take on it, when they were introduced to it, which influences they had. I think that's real important. And comic books are just an excellent way to introduce somebody. I mean, hip-hop's an international, you know, media thing now. So there's hardly anybody who can't get with it. It, it is an amazing time when both in terms of comics and uh, TV documentary, you can do so much with with black history from different voices in ways that really, really weren't available for for a wide uh, distribution in, in earlier right. days. And along with that, in terms of fiction, I wondered if you have if you're up to date on on certain black creative uh, teams and and books and specifically what's going on in in something like bitter root right now oh god yeah big fan 
I, I was hoping you were going to say that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I'd like listeners to who don't know that comic, and a lot of them don't, and maybe in the same way that my students didn't know Static. You know, I mm. think there are people that don't gravitate to that, and it's a fantastic book. I don't. It's interesting. I get to it for so many different levels because I see different generations represented, and. I, first of all, I love what it was being done with the color for it and the paging and how they put it together. I just, I just liked it. It's, you know, I think somebody else did give themselves a chance. Do what, what you would do in, if you had a book report. Do go down to, to the local bookstore and flip through the pages, see, look, you know, before you buy it. But you'll want to keep reading. So yeah. I'm going to treat folks that, that way. You know, it's it's the the writer Walker had did worked on Shaft and some other books. And Sanford Green was the yep. artist on Power Man and Iron Fist, the recent version. And so it's an all black creative team, which doesn't really come along all that often. And it's it's some great work and got Eisner recognition this year. Yes, see, and that's, you know, and that speaks well because I've been on that committee and it's, you know, it's no poop, but we are working really hard to make sure, you know, and sometimes it's not an easy choice, but in this case, I think they made the right one. When when did you do it? Which year? Oh my God, fourteen, two thousand fourteen, I think. Oh, oh, that's interesting. We're friends with Michael Dooley, who did it last year. Ah, they usually pick a, a really diverse team of people who come in, man, and it's like it's kind of intense, but it's okay. You understand what you've been through. You understand exactly how serious it is. I really enjoyed this because when we when I read your book. You know, I already saw you in those two documentaries before, so I knew who you were. And you've commented in our group. And every time you did, even if it was some uh, a questionable character that you would chime in and you always had something positive to say about everything you write is actually like there's a positive side to what you're putting. And I always found that really fascinating. And I'd, I'd always like actually study your comments and I'd be like, wow, that's a great perspective. So it was exciting for me to read the book and also to meet with you today. Thanks so much for joining us today. Jim and I had a great time. Yeah, it was great. Oh, listen, Thanks. gentlemen, I had a great time as well. Oh, by the way, just to let you know, I'm negotiating for a third collection of essays coming up. I'll keep you guys posted. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah please. Absolutely. Now, what's the second one called? Um, Dreaming of a Face Like Ours. That's what it was. Yes, that's right. And I haven't read that one yet, and I'll read that one next. Okay, now, you may have to go through me to get that one as well, too, but don't worry. Like I said, I'll hook you up. Yeah, (laughs) because the first one, the first one I found on eBay for like, you know, it was like 40 bucks or something. I'm like, all right, I'll just get it. But the second one, I couldn't find that one. So, all right, that's cool. So then we'll be in touch about that. That's great. And gentlemen, thank you for working with me on the Zoom connection.